0: I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in the book of Galatians once again. We'll pick up where we left off this past Sunday, Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And this morning we'll walk through verse 11 together in a message entitled, Children of God. As we look at the text this morning, as you make your way there, if uh, you don't have a copy of the scriptures, encourage you to grab a Bible that's on the seat back in front of you. If you don't own a copy, we'd encourage you to take that home with you. And uh, as we do every single week, we are going to walk verse by verse through God's word together. Ask the Lord to speak to us through his word, which he promises that he will do. And as we do that this morning, I got a question for you. Have you ever thought about the titles that you hold If you're a grandparent, you've thought about this a lot. I am a grandparent, right? It's like there's nothing better to be. My parents are here, and I'm confident the only reason they're here, not to hear me preach, but for grandbabies, right? That's why they're here this morning. My mom said amen. Did you hear that? There's a lot of titles, though, that we have. Some of us are parents, mom, dad. We have that title. Some of us have titles at work that we go by. You know, for me, over uh, the last couple of years, I was having a conversation with our youngest daughter, and I have a doctorate in ministry, and we were having a conversation about that, and uh, she said, now, so, Dad, you're, you're a doctor. I was like, well, yeah, and she said, so why then when we get sick do you take us to a real doctor? I said, well, I mean, it's it, it's different. I, I don't have a doctorate in medicine, so that, that's not... She said, so, so you have a doctorate that you really can't do anything with. <laughs> Nothing like your kids to build your self-esteem, right? So in terms of titles, all of us have various titles that we have that form our identity, it's what we rely on, but if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, there is one title that's greater than any other title that you could receive, and that is that you are a child of God. It's the greatest title that any of us could ever receive, and that's what we're going to look at this morning as Paul continues on walking us through this realization that we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by anything that we can do to earn God's favor. We're, in fact, saved as a direct result of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf It's because of what he did that we can be called children of God. And that's what Paul is going to highlight once again this morning. So I want to read the text for us, Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is what Paul writes. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes, that we would be able to see You would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. As we look at the text this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together, and it's this truth. The greatest title we could ever receive is being called a child of God. The greatest title that we could ever receive is not being called president, it's not even being called mom, dad, not being called grandparent, it's being called a child of God. As we look at the text this morning, I want to remind you where we are in the book of Galatians. Paul has been doing a lot of work over the last three chapters to dismantle a problem that was going on in the churches in Galatia. See, what had happened is people had trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and then some false teachers had entered into the churches and had said to them, It's not enough to trust Jesus and be saved by grace through faith in him alone. You need that plus some type of work. For them it was the issue of circumcision. It was the issue of following all the Old Testament customs and laws. They said, if you can't be saved unless you trust Jesus and you do these things. And Paul over the last three chapters in this important book has been seeking to dismantle that argument, to try and help the believers here understand that there is nothing that you or I could do to earn God's favor in our own strength and in our own power. And here's the other truth that we need to recognize is coupled with that. Once we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, our standing before God is not on the basis of what we do. It is on the basis of what Christ has done for us. So God's acceptance of you, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, is not how well you did in your checklist for the Christian life this past week. It's on the fact of what Christ did for you on the cross. Paul has been trying to drill this deep into the hearts and minds of the believers here in Galatia, but they are struggling. They are seeking to kind of turn back a bit and to say, Paul, we hear you, but this really sounds good. We like checklists. We like to try to figure it all out on our own, pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps in the Christian life. That's what we're going to do. Paul, once again using a pretty common example at this point, is going to seek to dismantle this argument again. Seek to remind them it is salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone that saves us from our sin. Notice what he does beginning in verses one through three. If you're taking notes, here's the first truth. God's law serves as a tool to prepare us for a savior. See, at this point in time, people are coming in and they're saying, you need the law to help you be saved. And Paul is going to say here, no, the law is simply a tool to point you to your desperate need for a savior. He uses an example here of a child who stands to inherit a lot of money. And he's going to use that to describe what it's like for us prior to meeting Jesus Christ sitting up under the law, God's perfection, and not being able to meet that standard. That's the example that he's going to use. So notice what he says here. I mean that the heir, that's the person who's supposed to receive a lot of money and inheritance, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Notice the argument that Paul's making here. He's describing something that would have been very familiar at this point in time in the first century. For Jewish people, the age of 12 was the time that they became an adult. For the Greeks, for the Romans, it was a little bit older than that. But up until that point in time, if you came from a family that had substantial wealth, you were not entitled to that wealth until you reached a certain age. And so at this point in time, what Paul is saying is, here is what it looks like if you are seeing the law and thinking, I can keep the law perfectly and earn God's favor. He said, you find yourself just like this child who is sitting and waiting for the day when the actual inheritance comes to him at the right time. So notice what he says here. He's under verse 2 guardians and managers until the date set by his father so at this point in time the heir is sitting back is young not yet to reach the age when they're going to inherit what they're supposed to get and he says at this point in time they're really no different than the slaves in fact wealthy families would have had slaves that cared for the children and the children had to obey the slaves they had to live up to whatever the standard was that the slaves had set for them They would educate them, they would train them, they would teach them. And so at this point in time, he says, they are under guardians, they're under managers until they reach the age when they can inherit what they're supposed to inherit. And notice what he says in verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So the connection that Paul is making here is in the same way that the heir is not yet able to obtain what he's supposed to have. He's simply waiting for the day, simply sitting under the tutors of the day, simply sitting under. He's still a slave waiting for the day to come. He says that's the exact same thing for you and for me as we sit underneath the law until Christ comes. So he says to them at this point in time, the law is functioning in the same way that these tutors, these guardians served over the heirs who were waiting to inherit what they were supposed to inherit. He's saying the law at this point in time can't save you. It can't give you what you desperately need. In fact, there's three things that we see that the law does. One, the law reflects the character of God. So as we look at God's law, as we look at his perfection, what we recognize is that the law of God sets him above everything else. The law of God shows his perfection. It shows his righteousness. It shows his goodness. It shows that we can no way obtain to what he's like. In fact, that's one of the things that God says through his law when he delivers it to his people is This is what I'm like. Perfection on display. If you want to know what it means to be perfect, here's the law of God. It demonstrates what God is like. Now here's where the problem comes in. The law also gives us the standard. If we're going to be in relationship with God, this is the standard we now have to reach. The problem we have is we have a sin problem. We can't reach that standard. God's perfection, if we're going to be in relationship with him, we have to be perfectly sinless without any problems. Look at your neighbor and say, that's not you, right? It doesn't take long to figure that out. Serve in the kids ministry for one Sunday and you'll send some kids to their parents and go, there's a bunch of little sinners running around here. The reality is we are all born sinners and we sin. The standard that God says that we have to meet to have a relationship with him is so high that we can't. And in fact, the law shows us our inadequacy. It shows us that there's never a possibility of us measuring up. So you may have come in this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And in your mind, you've thought that I just got to be good enough. I don't know if you've ever had conversations with people. You ask them simple questions like, hey, how are you going to get to heaven when you die? They're like, well, you know, I'm really kind of a pretty good person. And the reality is you can't be good enough to earn the favor of God. Why? Because you and I are sinners. And our sin separates us from God. There's no way that we can even approach the throne of God, that we can even approach having a relationship with Him because of the sin that is in our lives. Now, here's the thing. Paul is trying to remind these believers who had trusted Jesus as their Savior, but who now are being led astray by a false gospel that is trying to lift up works as the means whereby they not only can be saved from their sin, but they can be sanctified in walk with the Lord. And he's saying to them, if you really understood what the law of God is like, it is crushing. You're simply sitting under it, never able to measure up. In the analogy that he gives of the child here who is an heir waiting, the reality is for us, if we think that the law of God is going to save us, is going to make us righteous in God's eyes, we will sit forever as a child waiting for the inheritance, will never receive. Neither you nor I can save ourselves from sin. Paul is reminding the believers once again that God's law serves as a tool not to be saved by, but to prepare us for a Savior, to help us see that we desperately need someone who can do what we can. Verse 4, this is the second truth we see in the text this morning, and it's this truth. God's Son serves as the only means whereby we can be forgiven of our sin and adopted into God's family. I want you to notice beginning in verse 4, he says, but when the fullness of time had come. So keep in mind this picture that he's drawn earlier of an heir that's waiting, longing, looking for this inheritance when he comes of age. And he says here, for us who are sitting under the law, before Christ came, he said, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. When the world was sitting under the law, languishing, waiting, looking, longing, Who is going to be able to come and to save us from our sin? It is only the Messiah. It is only the Savior. It is only Jesus Christ. It says in verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, notice God sent forth His Son. This is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. The Father sends the Son. He's fully God. But notice here, he was born of woman. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. And notice this, he was born under the law. So just like you and I are born under the law of God, Jesus Christ, his son, came and was born under the law, except here's the difference between him and us. He was able to keep the law of God perfectly. In fact, Jesus said he didn't come to abolish or to get rid of the law. In fact, he came to fulfill it, to keep it to the great standard that God has of perfection. His son was able to do what you and I cannot do. I want you to notice that as a result of what Jesus Christ was able to do through his life, through his death, Through his resurrection, notice what verse 5 describes for us comes as a result of trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior. He came to redeem those that were under the law so that we could be received adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, fourthly, an heir. I want you to notice what he describes here because this is the gospel of Jesus Christ on display. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, this describes you and it describes me. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus this morning, this describes what could be true in your life if you trust Jesus as your Savior. This is what he says through faith in Jesus. Notice at the beginning of verse 5, Jesus came to redeem those who are under the law. When we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, Paul says here, we are redeemed. We are purchased by the very blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of our service this morning, that is what we are celebrating. That Jesus Christ paid with his life the debt that we owed as a result of our sin. He is the only one righteous, perfect, who could do that for you and for me. And he did through faith in Jesus Christ we are redeemed. Not only are we redeemed, he continues on, it gets better. We've also been forgiven of our sins, but we might receive adoption as sons. So through faith in Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed, but through faith in Jesus, we have also been adopted into God's family. So we go from being enemies of God who are deserving of God's wrath to being redeemed, forgiven of our sin, and not only just that, but brought into the family of God, being adopted sons and daughters of God. So for you and for me, if we're followers of Jesus this morning, yes, our sins have been forgiven, but it's even better than that. God has called us his children. He says, you are mine. I've adopted you. Not only that, notice he continues in verse 6. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we're redeemed, we're adopted, but we're also filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see it all in the first four verses here of chapter 4. He says, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying abba father trusting jesus christ as our savior we experience not only forgiveness of our sins we experience not only being brought into the family of god but in fact the holy spirit of god comes to indwell the life of every single believer You say, Pastor, why is that important? Because for us to live out the Christian life, to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, to look more and more like Jesus every single day, you and I can't do that in our own strength and power, which is why we desperately need the Holy Spirit of God working and transforming our life to look more and more like Jesus Christ. So notice what Paul says here. This is what happens when you trust Jesus as your Savior. And then it gets even better than that. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave. We walked away from being a slave under the law. You've been called a son. And if you are a son, then you're also here by trusting Jesus as your Savior, an heir with Christ. So all of the riches of his glorious inheritance that the father pours out on his son, we get to share in that because of our relationship with the son. We say, what is it that transforms our life as a follower of Jesus? Paul puts it on display here. He says, this is what's true about you. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, these verses describe you. And yet, the believers that he's writing to have received that. And they want to turn their back on that and go back to the law. And Paul looks at them and says, are you crazy? Why would you walk away from all that's been detailed out here to go back as a slave under the law trying to earn the favor of God that you've already received as a result of what Christ has done? You are absolutely crazy to make that exchange. I want you to notice the third truth that we see in verses 8 through 11 as God's children we are foolish absolutely foolish to return to the law as the means for our acceptance before God but hear me this morning if we're not careful that's exactly what we'll do as a believer We'll trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. We will experience all that he's outlined for us in those previous verses. But then in our minds, we will think that our acceptance before God is not on the basis of what Christ has done. And our empowerment to live out the Christian life is not on the basis of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. But we take an American mentality of bootstrapping this thing. Like I got to work to earn God's favor. But hear me this morning, as a follower of Jesus, you live out the Christian life from the position of already having the favor of God. And that's what he's trying to help these believers understand. And they are struggling. They like lists. They want to check the box. They want to say, well, man, if I, if I can just do this, then God will like me more than he liked me yesterday. If I can just get a better score on my spiritual report card this week than I did last week, then God's going to like me more than he did last week. Notice what he says in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. He's saying to them that the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the religious leaders who were in charge, they were all about keeping the rules. They were all about not only the law of God, but they had actually, in fact, created additional rules. Some of you are rule followers. You're like, those are my people. But they had said, not only do you have the law of God, but but we've even manufactured more laws that you have to follow. And if you're going to have standing before God, if God's going to be pleased with you, you have all of this. So he says here, they're not God, and yet they've created all of these rules. And he says here, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to them. They were directing your steps. They were telling you, if you want to have a relationship with God, this is what it's going to take. And in fact, as we've been walking through our small group uh, apologetic study, that's the difference between Christianity and every other world religion. Every other world religion says these are the steps you must take to get to God and to have a relationship with Him. Christianity says this is the step that God took to come to you and save you from your sin because you could not save yourself. And at this point in time, Paul is saying... In verse 8, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now, verse 9, that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. Here's his question. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? How can you taste the goodness of God in salvation? How can you taste being redeemed? How can you taste being a child of God? How can you taste the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you? How can you taste being an heir of all the promises that are coming to Christ as a result of being a child of God? How can you taste those things and then turn and walk away? I mean, how can you taste a good steak and then go to McDonald's hamburger? Some of you are like, I like McDonald's. Doesn't taste as good as a steak. And notice what he says here. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Paul is heartbroken in the moment for these believers who are turning from the true gospel of Jesus Christ to a false gospel. Now, think about this. What Paul is, in essence, saying to them is, here you are, being redeemed, forgiven of your sins, and essentially what you're doing is you are saying, in essence, I'm forfeiting the forgiveness I've received because of what Christ has done and I'm going to try to do it myself. You're forfeiting your identity of being a child of God and saying, I'm going to try to earn my way into the family of God. He's saying here, instead of enjoying what it means to have the Holy Spirit of God empowering you to live out the Christian life, in essence, you are forfeiting the power that you receive as a result of the Holy Spirit within you, and you are seeking to manufacture your own power to live out the Christian life. Instead of experiencing the joy of being an heir of all the riches available for us in Christ. In essence, you are seeking to forfeit all that you would inherit and try to work to earn it all back. And Paul looks at these believers brokenhearted and says to them, really? Would you really go from all that you have in Christ to a position once again of being enslaved to the law and never being able to measure up. But if you adopt the mentality that these false teachers are bringing to you, that's exactly where you'll find yourself. I want to ask you if you'd bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes. As we transition to a time of invitation and then as we celebrate the Lord's Supper after that. Maybe you've come in this morning and in your mind you've thought that God must be pleased with you because you're a good person. And that that will be what it takes to reach heaven one day to have a relationship with God. I just want to remind you this morning that the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you can never attain that. You will never measure up in your own strength and your own power. And the good news is you don't have to because Jesus did it on your behalf. You can receive salvation through Jesus Christ by placing your faith and trust in him today receiving all that we talked about this morning through Christ because of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. He has secured salvation for you through him. Maybe for you this morning, that's the step that you need to take. And I'd invite you in the next little bit as we sing. If you want to take a step out and move down to the front here, myself or Pastor Aaron would love to help you take that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus this morning, and the reality for you today is you've kind of lost sight of all that is yours in Christ And as we talked about God's word this morning, you've been reminded of the incredible gift that salvation through Christ is. You've been reminded of what he's done in and through your life. Maybe for you this morning as a believer, you just need to worship the Lord as a result of that. Maybe you've trended as a believer into thinking that God's acceptance of you is on the basis of how well you do. I want to caution you this morning as Paul has been doing over the last several chapters that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, you are accepted not on the basis of what you do but on the basis of what Christ has done for you. And you are enabled to live out the Christian life, not by your own strength and your own power, but by the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within you. Maybe for you this morning, that's a word that you need to hear. Father, we ask today that you would work in our hearts and our lives, that you would bring conviction God, that you would bring encouragement. God, that we would respond to you in this moment as you've called us to, as you direct us to. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to stand, if you will, and we'll sing for just a bit, and then we'll sit back down and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But as we prepare our hearts for that, you respond to the Lord.